Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and for wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. Let me do a proper wake up there. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit on your community radio. My name is Tree Song. Or has not made it to the studio yet, so I may be flying solo today. <laughs> or he may still be on his way here. Uh, it is a little bit rainy out, so maybe the rain is complicating his progress. All right, we've got plenty to talk about, though, while he is out. Uh, we've got news and happenings. If you want to send any news or happenings our way, it's uh, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. And uh, he, he is on his way into the studio now, actually, but I'll get this one started. Far from turning a corner, global CO2 emissions are still accelerating. The level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is not just rising, it's accelerating. And another potent greenhouse gas, methane, showed a big spike last year, according to the latest annual greenhouse gas index released by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. CO2 emissions totaled between 35 and 40 billion tons in 2015, according to several agencies. Some of that is absorbed by forests and oceans, but those natural systems are being overwhelmed by the sheer volume of new CO2. As a result, the inventory shows the average global concentration increased to 399 parts per million in 2015. That's a record jump of almost 3 parts per million from the year before. Uh, so yeah, CO2 levels, we've made all of these agreements to try to get them to decrease. But not only have they not decreased, they have not stabilized. They are still accelerating. Better to get hot in here. <laughs> yeah. So. Better to get hot in here. Yep. True story. We won't have any trouble getting hot in Southern Illinois with these emissions. So methane levels uh, also jumped 11 parts per billion from 2014 to 2015, nearly double the rate they were increasing from uh, 2007 to 2013. So methane and other greenhouse gases like nitrous oxide and tropospheric ozone are measured in parts per billion because the concentrations are lower. But they're very powerful, so don't be fooled by the lower number. Uh, so here's a quote. This inventory shows the rate of releases are increasing. It's going completely in the wrong direction, with no sign that the planet as a whole has the problem under control, says Kevin Trenberth, a senior scientist in the climate analysis section at the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Well, we shouldn't worry about it because the climate, the planet needs to have it under control, not us. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of blaming the planet. Oh, the planet doesn't have it under control. The planet's actually working really hard to sequester all this carbon, like really, really hard. But we just keep putting more and more into the atmosphere. The index, now in its 10th year, measures how much of the sun's warmth is trapped in the atmosphere by gases like CO2, methane, and nitrous oxide. The data is compiled from a global network of measuring stations, including the famed observatory atop Manu Lao, I might have pronounced it right, mm -hmm. known for having the longest continuous record of atmospheric CO2 concentrations. So, yeah. Manu Lao's CO2 levels for the northern hemisphere are currently about four parts per million higher than this time last year. Scientists there predict it may not dip below 400 parts per million again. 
Yeah. And what we're, we were trying to say that to survive, it needs to be 350 parts per million. Yeah, and we're going to be stuck above 400 parts per million. Um, yeah, and it's important to point out, too, this, here's a quote. Uh, quote, this isn't a model. These are precise and accurate measurements, and they tell us about how humans are changing the balance of heat in Earth systems, says Jim Butler, director of NOAA's Global Mark Monitoring Division, in a statement. Quote, we're dialing up Earth's thermostat in a way that will lock more heat into the ocean and atmosphere for thousands of years. That's like in your house if you turn up the heat, but then it just keeps slowly going up. Yeah. It's like... And then even once you turn off the heat, the heat still stays around for a while. Yeah. So even if we stop our missions now, we're putting heat into the ocean that's going to be locked in there for thousands of years. But that's the ocean. How does that affect us? <laughs> well, I'm sure if all life in the ocean dies, we will tend to notice that. <laughs> Atmosphere um, levels. I don't live in the ocean. <laughs> I don't know if I would notice that. Yeah. Well, we'll notice when the oxygen levels on the surface of the Earth drop <laughs> and all sorts of crazy things like that start happening. Well, I already have a hard time breathing because, you know, I'm fat. But yeah, well, you, mean, you mean I'd have a hard time breathing just sitting? Just sitting, yeah. Because if, if we're not having enough oxygen at surface level, it'll be like being at the surface of the Earth would be like being at the top of a mountain. Oh, man. Now you're ruining my morning. Yeah. So basically, if the oceans die, it's bad. <laughs> oh, it's like... To put it in non-scientific terms, sim simplified terms. Indians demand government action after temperatures hit 51 Celsius. 51? That doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> Until Wait. you remember it's Celsius. <laughs> Celsius. That's 123.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my gosh. That is very Residents warm. of a city in the northwest of India have called for government action as temperatures reached 51 Celsius, 123.8 degrees Fahrenheit, the highest the country has experienced since records began. Palodi, in the desert state of Nashathine, is suffering an unprecedented medical crisis as a result of the record temperatures. In Falodi, where the temperature can fall below zero in winter and extre reach extreme peaks in the summer, the local government hospital has been seen patient numbers double in the last few days as people report more heat-related illnesses. Yeah. I remember we did mention this when the heat waves started earlier in the year, but I think this story is reminding us that it's still going on. Remember when we had the heat wave a couple summers ago? And where the humidity, basically, it got baked out. Yeah. And I remember being, I mean, we were running the air conditioner continuously, and yet it still wasn't cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, air conditioner works really well if it's just taking the humidity out of the air of your place. Yeah. Once if, the humidity's gone. And it's a lot harder. So. And that's one of the quotes here from uh, uh, someone who was a nursing officer in the hospital. They said, quote, it is incredibly hot. None of the air conditioners or coolers are working. We have running water, but the water is stored in tanks on top of the buildings. And when it comes out of the tap, the water is so hot, you can't even wash your hands with it. You can't even go to the toilet. Oh, think about it. The water you're flushing <laughs> is so hot. The water you're flushing hot. is so hot, if it splashes you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to scald you. Yeah. So, and uh, Ranjit Singh, a local police constable, said, quote, The ground is so hot, you could cook chapi chapatis on it. Here we would say fry an egg on it. Yeah, you could fry an egg on it, but it's happening in India. So, 
So this is still affecting. I mean, they highlight this this city, but it's still affecting much of India, and uh, it's it's quite a crisis. For the last few weeks, several heat, severe heat waves have swept across India, and temperatures are expected to stay high in June. Devastating drought, which has left many villages and towns without a regular water supply, is adding to the effects of the heat. So yeah, like we were just saying, if it's a dry heat and the air conditioning can't cool you off, that makes it even worse. In some regions, daytime cooking has been banned because of the risk of starting fires. And schools are closing down. And some hospitals have stopped performing surgeries. So basically, heat waves are not good for human societies. Everything starts to fall apart. And with climate change, there will be more of them. And... For us who are thinking, you know, India's on the other side of the world, we did have that same thing happen to us for a month in September a couple summers ago. Yeah. Where it killed all the crops in Illinois. And, um, I mean, I had a cypress tree that was fed from the dripping from my air conditioner. And (laughs) I was gone for a week and I came back and it had died. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it couldn't handle not having any water at all. So, yeah. ExxonMobil's shareholders meeting overrun by climate demands. Say what? Say what? It's impossible for fossil fuel executives to get some peace and quiet nowadays. Yeah. At its annual shareholder meeting in Dallas, Texas, ExxonMobil faced investors demands that the company get serious about climate change adaptation and regulation. Now, notice it says investors' demands. Yeah, it's not just activists who have no connection with the company. It's people who own shares in the company are demanding this. Since 1997, ExxonMobil has fended off similar demands. Wait a second. Since 1997, the shareholders have been demanding? Yeah. (laughs) But not at this scale. Wednesday's meeting included the largest coalition of climate activists investors yet of two dozen large shareholders representing eight trillion dollars under management yeah that's a lot of money i don't know exactly how many shares there are but eight trillion dollars worth of your investors are demanding that you take action on climate change that's a pretty serious situation but still eight out of the nine climate shareholder resolutions still failed the one proposal that passed at 62 percent of the vote allowed shareholders who own 3% or more of the company's shares for more than three years to nominate up to a quarter of the board's directors every year. <laughs> so just so like, in, theory, in theory, in several like years. All those directors who've been there forever, yeah. now some of the people can like elect them. Yeah, so they might get some new blood in there, and this could allow maybe one climate activist to become a director at the company. Which may not sound like much, but once you get one in the door, you know, I've been at meetings. All it takes is one person to to rant and rant and rant and get something done. <laughs> <laughs> or just hold people to the law. Yeah, you know. You know. So that's a very specific resolution. Yeah. <laughs> just like- <laughs> that's probably why it passes because it wasn't necessarily only related to the climate. There were probably other people too who were saying, yeah, we, we need some new people on the board, that sort of thing. They're not following, yeah. One climate resolution that failed suggested a company report on how climate policies would impact its business. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a no-brainer. If I own a company, I would yeah. like to know how 
laws are affecting the business of that company. Yeah, that's something pretty much any business should consider. I mean, even if you don't think your business relates to the climate, you could at least spend a little bit thinking about it. It was the second most popular resolution, yet it earned only 38% of the vote. I wonder if you get, you know, votes based on how many shares you have. Yeah. I'm sure, right? Other proposal includes included calls for more transparency on Exxon's hydraulic fracturing activity, lobbying, diversity, and makeup of the board, and its plans to adopt to a mm-hmm. renewable energy economy. Yeah, those didn't get very many votes. No. <laughs> Father Michael Crosby, a Franciscan priest from Milwaukee, presented a proposal asking for a climate expert to be put on the company's board. Quote, Not one person has any experience, expertise on climate, he said of the board. ExxonMobil has a chance to restore the public's trust. It's time for a conversion, end quote. <laughs> yeah. So and basically he's saying, like, we should greenwash it? <laughs> no, just yeah. like, well, or at least have somebody who has some knowledge. Somebody of- who has knowledge. I mean, I honestly think that's part of the problem with Exxon and other companies is that they don't, they just simply don't understand the problem. I mean, they, they, hear, they have hired people who have told them about the problem, but they ignore those people because they themselves are ignorant. <laughs> So yeah, some climate expertise on their board would help them to respond to these concerns. I, I also kind of hope that while Father Crosby was there, he did an exorcism, <laughs> drive out some of the demons who may be haunting Exxon. Well, here's a quote from Edward Mason, head of Responsible Investing for the Church of England. Quote, many of the world's largest investors are voting against the Exxon management today, he said. Yeah. At a certain point, even if you don't really care much about the climate for some reason, if, when you see a board that is not responsive to their shareholders, that isn't really investigating whether or not their business will be affected by climate change, even just climate change regulation, even if you don't believe it's happening, it, you know governments are going to regulate it. And if you're not telling your shareholders about this, then that does not seem like good management to me. Sister Patricia Daly, a Dominican Nunn from New Jersey presented a resolution asking Exxon to adapt the policy acknowledging the two degrees Celsius target. Here's her quote. Our company has chosen to disregard the consensus in the scientific community. As the world moves forward, ExxonMobil stands still. Yeah. So here's another quote. This is from, let's see. This is the Exxon CEO and chair during the shareholders' call Wednesday morning. Quote, For many years now, ExxonMobil has held the view that the risks of climate change are serious and do warrant thoughtful action. So he says that, but then when he was asked to cut the company's ties with groups promoting climate denial, such as the American Legislative Exchange Council, Tillerson declined. And the board also recommended to deny all proposals presented. Yeah. So one of them did pass, and while the company internally recognized man-made climate change as real, it advocated for skepticism publicly. Yeah, which is part of why they're being investigated for crimes, is, you know, when you admit internally that this is a problem. Three decades ago. (laughs) Three decades ago, three or four decades ago. And so they have this whole thing of denial ingrained in their society, you know, and so for them to change would, you know... I don't know, be devastating to their society, but at the same time would make it so that they would survive as a company if they want to survive. 
Yeah. Or they can just like, you know, continue to make money on fossil fuels and in a dwindling way, right? Yeah. Well, their plan, plan is probably just to, you know, have 5, 10, 15 years, whatever, of high profits, get out with their golden parachutes, and then nobody cares. I know I have run out of gas not buying gas from ExxonMobil. <laughs> yeah. And that's primarily for me, that's because in they still haven't paid off the oil spill that devastated the Native Americans in Alaska, Yeah, the Exxon Valdez oil spill in 1989, and they're still fighting that. Yeah. And... um it devastated like you know people i know that their whole society that they went around and had people sign papers that you know basically made it so there couldn't be a lawsuit yeah but, you know so exxon is stuck in the past but let's see what the rest of america good news <laughs> more americans now work in solar power than in the inst- extraction of oil and gas or in the extraction of coal time for a power shift yes Solar power has now now has more employees than either the oil and gas industry or the coal extraction industry in the United States. The solar industry employed approximately 208,000 individuals at the end of 2015 versus 185,000 in oil and gas or 190,000 in coal extraction. So this this is a playing with the numbers cuz they're they're not lumping, you know, fossil fuel in one thing, they're yeah. splitting off the oil and oil gas, gas is and one the coal. Industry. Yeah. So really, we're like fifty percent of fossil fuel. Yeah. So fossil fuels is still winning, but if you individually take oil and gas versus solar, for example, solar is beating oil and gas. Well, oil mm-hmm. and gas and solar shouldn't be in the same category. Yeah. One's for transportation and one's for electricity. Yeah. Really. So coal. Coal. Coal is the better comparison, and right. coal it's kicking coal's butt at the moment. <laughs> Sorry, coal, but it's a lot easier to win when your source of energy is free. When it's falling from the sky, just waiting for you to get <laughs> it. It's just like, how do you, how can you compete against free? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, here we go. Um, solar power employment is expected to grow an additional 15% in 2016 to almost 240,000 individuals. Globally, solar power now directly employs 2.8 million people as the largest renewable energy employer. So, let's see. So, now this is this information is very specific to the extraction portion. Yeah. You know, this doesn't count like, you know, a gas station, you know, counter person. Yeah, gas station that's, attendants. That's, you know, that's a retail person. That's yeah. nothing specifically. People on the retail side, you know. So, well, and part of I mean, part of the advantage of solar is that you put up a solar panel and there isn't this elaborate system of moving the oil from one place to another to another. You just have sunshine and it's done. That's pretty elaborate to get sunshine to us, but we don't have any control over yeah. it. <laughs> we just let the sun do the work. Yeah. So, so the Solar Foundation has some information on the, uh, the location of solar jobs and types of solar jobs. They're spread around the country. It would be nice to have more solar jobs here in southern Illinois. Now, one bit of information the amount of energy produced by solar power has increased by 175 percent since the year 2000 globally wow 175 percent yep and that energy will double six times more in the next 14 years yeah to meet these needs by 2030 the united states would have to add at least a million jobs in solar power alone yeah so so people are looking for the solar so that's where the jobs are coming from Meet the next generation. I guess I should mention my solar class that oh, yeah. I'm going to be doing in July. 
Um, basically, it'll be a solar training class, and then over two days, one day at John A. Logan, and the second day will be here on the station installing a solar system. Ooh, that's exciting. July 16th and 23rd, you must take both of them. <laughs> you have to learn how to do it before you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> just like, meet the next generation of bus. Quote, everything that has an urban drive cycle will ultimately be electric vehicle, end quote. That's what Ryan Popple, the president and CEO of ProTerra, the leading U.S. electric bus company, explained in a recent interview. Did you know that there was an electric mm -hmm. bus company? I didn't know that. It makes sense. I've heard about electric buses, but somebody's got to make them. Well, I mean, they're a perfect application because they have a set you know, route, like so they know how many miles it does every day. Yeah, and they can also set up charging stations along the way if they need to. You know, I mean, with batteries being what they are now, you don't need many charging stations. Right. But So, I mean, they can basically have a bus designed for that route. Yeah. You know, and so if they only need 30 miles a day, they ha have a cheaper bus. If they need 150 miles a day, it has a better bat, better, bitter <laughs> bat, better, bitter battery, <laughs> bigger battery bank, bigger battery bank. I got it. a better, bigger battery bank. <laughs> Quit making me feel so bad. It's like alliteration, the, the, <laughs> the bigger, better, bigger, better battery bank. There you got it. I think <laughs> the future of transit isn't cleaner diesels, hybrids, natural gas, or hydrogen fuel buses. The rapidly dropping price for electric batteries combined with new fast charging technology appears to render the competition obsolete. <laughs> I'm sorry, fossil fuel. It's hard to compete against free. <laughs> uh, that's going to be my new tagline. Yeah. Fossil fuels are going extinct. Well, slowly. Slowly. <laughs> For the first time in history, we are now using less than 50% of our energy from coal. Yeah. And, that, and well, it's, it's, it's steadily going down, but very slowly, steadily going down. Yeah. Right now, the biggest problem isn't which technology will win the, best, the bus market. It's how quickly all electrics will take over. And whether Proterra will keep ahead of the Chinese competition like electric vehicle giant BYD. Yeah, that's one thing to keep in mind when we still have some people in the U.S. emphasizing fossil fuels is if we don't create this clean energy technology, somebody else will. And, and they'll sell it right to us and it'll be cheaper than the fossil fuels tech. So this is one of Elon Musk's former employees who's going and making uh, all of these electric buses I mean, over the 10 to 12 year lifetime of a typical urban transport bus, you, they claim you can save $400,000 in total operational costs compared to a typical diesel. Yeah. So and that's not even talking about the people dying from the pollution. Yeah. You know, as it's driving past you, you have to breathe it. Yeah. It'll also happen to kill less people. But <laughs> like, the main selling point for businesses, it'll save money. <laughs> Today it says it's sunscreen day, but the... Yeah, it doesn't look like it outside. <laughs> actually, you probably know this more than I do, but this kind of day is the day you get sunburned. Yeah, a lot of people do because they, they're not thinking about it and there's still solar it's radiation. It's not very hot, but you get a lot of solar radiation. Yeah. It's, you know, time out in the sun. Yeah. And so if you're out for like two or three hours on a day like today, you can and will get sunburned. Yeah. I say you, I just... <laughs> 
browner. Oh yeah, yeah. And I personally don't get too sunburned, but I know a lot of people who do. I've I've had a conversation with someone in the shade of a tree, just sitting talking with them, and watched them turn pink, because <laughs> that's how sensitive they were to the sun. Oh, I thought you like said something inappropriate. Oh uh, no, <laughs> but on a day like this, the same thing would happen to them just walking around outside. So yeah, be mindful of the power of the sun. Tomorrow is International Jazz Day and Amnesty International Day. Ooh, and Sunday is Learn About Composting Day. I've been doing some uh, vermicomposting, worm composting at my house. Monday is Water a Flower Day. And on Tuesday, if it needs water too, you probably should water it on Tuesday also. Yeah. Not just on Monday. Ooh, and Tuesday is World No Tobacco Day. Now, I, I don't push on people that they have to quit smoking, but if anybody wants to quit smoking, I will be happy to help them. I've lost people to cancer from smoking. So. Me too. World No Tobacco Day. Wednesday is Flip a Coin Day and Dare Day. So mm-hmm. what you have to do is go up to somebody, say, heads or tails, you pick the dare. Yeah. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So some happenings. The fourth Friday fair is coming up. It's happening tonight from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Carbondale Town Square. On fourth Fridays in Carbondale from April through September, there will be free live music, a food court, information from local organizations, activities for kids and adults, regional crafts and arts, vendors of all kinds, and more. It's bike month, so guess what they're celebrating? Bikes. How'd you know? (laughs) I'm psychic. There will be a bicycle decorating, a children's bicycle giveaway, Free bicycle repair by Saluki Spokes. And, in case you didn't know it, after the 6 to 9 Friday Night Fair, WDBX is having an after party. After party. Every Friday, the Friday Night Fair, after the Friday Night Fair, WDBX is having an after party. Yes. WDBX is a pretty happening place, isn't it? Yeah, it's very true. The annual plant sale, Saturday, May 28th at 7 a.m. at Turley Park. All proceeds benefit the many projects sponsored by the Evergreen Garden Club. And this year there will be many perennial plants from Members Garden offered for sale as well as bedding plants and hanging baskets from McNitt Growers. Yeah, the Garden Club, they a lot of these plots you see around downtown and stuff, I heard that they plant the flowers and help maintain you know so if you see flowers growing like in random places downtown a lot of them do a lot of that volunteer work yes that may be the garden club also coming up this weekend it's harvesting 101 coming up on saturday at 10 a.m at the flyover gardens the flyover gardens are at 214 north washington right across from the flyover info shop and you can learn about how different greens in the garden are harvested and then take some home yourself. So the workshop begins at 10 a.m. when participants will get a guided tour of the garden. During the tour, they will explain which crops are ready to harvest and how to tell. Then they will break off into small groups and work on the garden. And it's really an exciting project. I, it was just an empty field until they created the garden there. And so I, I hadn't heard the garden was coming because I haven't really be, hadn't really been following the news and so I just remember coming to the radio show. It just show. kind of like grew. It just appeared. It kind of like grew on you. Yeah. Yeah, all of the, the garden gnomes, garden fairies over at Flyover were making it all happen behind the scenes. There's a lot of work. But yeah. I see them every once in a while working out there too. It takes a lot of work. regularly, yeah. But it uh, it's, makes for a beautiful garden. It's, it just, it's great for the urban landscape to just suddenly have a garden arise from the grass. 
after a year delay from our state due to them not funding it, the Carbondale Park District to celebrate grand opening of the Splash Park this weekend. Da, 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 da. I'm not going. There'll be too many people. <laughs> I've got to see it twice. I got to see it before they filled the pool with the Chamber of Commerce luncheon last Tuesday. And then my Rotary Club donated some um, bike racks. Yeah. And so we went and dedicated those and got a tour of it with the pool open. It is nice. <laughs> There's a slide with a scary short section on the bottom where you might like crash into the wall. <laughs> there's the lazy river yeah. where you can not paddle at all. And then there's the actual pool and a little secret to everybody on the deep end. There's a little ledge on the edge. Ooh. So you can just like hang out on the edge of the deep end and then, you know, swim out a few feet and then go back to the ledge and just act like you're cool. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like fun. And if you're in the water, you might be actually really cool. Yeah. And this is something Carbondale has aspired to have for, you know, at least 40 years, uh, a big public municipal swimming complex. So now people are going to have it as a reality. It will be open from 11 to 7 every day. And the ribbon cutting ceremony will be at 1030. I guess opening day is tomorrow. Or is it today? I don't know. <laughs> All yeah, I know looks is like it's tomorrow. Here's a chance. I might just go to the ribbon cutting. <laughs> but I was thinking of volunteering at Habitat for Humanity or I don't know. Tomorrow is Farmer's a- Market. Too many things to do on a Saturday morning. Yeah. I hear people sometimes say, oh, there's nothing going on in Carbondale. What's going on? There, there's so many things going on. So many that I can't even go to them all. Speaking of which, we are out of time. Yes. Do you want to... Yeah, a couple of quick points. Human trafficking discussion on Tuesday at 10 a.m. at, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, two, yeah, 10 a.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center, a discussion of human trafficking. And game night at Guy House on Wednesday. And we'll have more on the other happenings coming up. next. Not this Saturday, but next Saturday is the next Peace Vigil. And it's going to be honoring veterans by waging peace. And a garden tour on June 5th. It's almost June. Are you ready? We're ready. We will see you again on the radio. And remember, today is Wear Sunscreen Day. (laughs) Don't get burnt.